0: It's finally time to kick off the college football season for Virginia and Virginia Tech, we hope. <laughs> we'll look at the Hokies game against North Carolina State, the return of Charlie Wiles, and the atmosphere you can expect at Lane Stadium. And we'll get some help from the voice of the Cavaliers, Dave Kane, as we preview the Who's opener against Duke and the first start for new quarterback Brennan Armstrong. All that and much more this week on Teal and Bark. Welcome in to episode 21 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch, and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for The Paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you?
1: I'm well, Mike. How are you guys hanging down at the beach?
0: We are loving it. We took the family down to the Outer Banks for the week, figuring if you got to work from home and you got to do school virtually, you might as well have the beach in your front yard. So it's been, uh, it, it's a little different. Sometimes it's it's actually harder to do your work when you realize you could just walk outside and, and be at the beach, but... Um, It's nice. I see why people live here. How are are things at the Teal household?
1: You got your wetsuit and your surfboard?
0: I have not. You know, there's supposed to be a surf championship here. And with the waves and the wind, it would be spectacular. So I'm hoping they still pull it off. There's that. And the other thing we might check out this week, David, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a hang gliding competition where basically these guys launch themselves off the top of the giant sand dunes and they have a huge bullseye down below. And the aim is to kind of weave and wind and and catch the wind and land yourself as close to the center of the bullseye, like a human dartboard. I I saw it once before and we're hoping to take the kids to that. Have you ever, you ever seen that David?
1: No, and I've never done it either. And nor will I,
0: I was going to ask, would you have any interest in hang gliding uh, skydiving? Are you a jump out of an airplane kind of guy? You know, in tandem
1: i i might give that a shot my dad often talked about doing that before common sense got a hold of him but um yeah i can i can see i can see doing that at some point
0: wild well if you do let me know i won't join you but i'd love to hear the stories (laughs) Uh, (laughs) similarly in terms of taking a plunge it's finally here it's college football week for virginia for virginia tech uh David, first off, just how do you feel that, that we are expecting at least to be covering games on Saturday?
1: It well <laughs> it, it'll be very nice if if indeed we, we both find ourselves in, in, in press boxes on Saturday. It's it's been a long time. It's what we do, it's what we like to do, uh, it's what our audiences expect so let's hope so especially for the young people involved they have they have worked exhaustively to follow protocol and to get ready for different opponents and just the sacrifices they've made. I hope they get finally get the payoff.
0: Yeah. We're chuckling a little because David and I both are in the camp where until the ball's in the air for that opening kickoff, I think we're going to be a little nervous and a little hesitant, but the plan is David for you to be in Blacksburg for Virginia tech and North Carolina state, the Hokies, of course, they had to postpone last weekend's game against rival UVA due to some positive COVID tests and some uh, contact tracing issues sources have told us they had over 50 players out from practice at one point that makes it really hard to prepare david what are you expecting in terms of just big picture the readiness the polish from the hokies
1: mike long story short no clue i mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a team, if you thumb through the ACC media guide and look at the returning starters, I mean, the Hokies have nine on offense and eight on defense. That's a really nice foundation, you would think. But how many of those dudes are going to be in uniform Saturday night? And how many of them have had any semblance of training camp? And oh, by the way, if if you want to look across the way at North Carolina State and an example of how this can all impact your team, Devin Leary was the projected starting quarterback for the Wolfpack. I believe he started the final six or seven games last Last season. Well, he never tested positive for the virus, but he missed 20 days of training camp because of contact tracing. Therefore, you saw Bailey Hockman start the opener last week against Wake Forest, acquitted himself quite well. But how many examples of that are we going to see on the Virginia Tech side on Saturday?
0: David, we've talked, I feel like, exhaustively during this podcast over the last two months, really, about how important depth will be, how important preparing multiple guys at multiple positions will be. And um, that's certainly the the case here. It's an example with what you're talking about at North Carolina State. Now, Virginia Tech did get back to the practice field last week after a a four-day pause. And Coach Justin Fuente, he's hoping he's going to have enough of the those bodies available to take on the wolf pack but David he sure didn't sound like he was going to be issuing any guarantees here's what Justin said when you asked him if he'd have a full roster for Saturday night's opener
1: no we will not have a full roster Uh, I hope we're able to play we still have three more tests this week I mean we had one today we've got one Wednesday we got one Friday and we'll just keep taking it day by day
0: that doesn't sound promising does it David
1: well Mike it doesn't and I'll tell you what, that quote got a lot of play around the country and on the ACC network. The body language is not good. But part of me wonders, Justin Fuente, he may be trying to manage expectations, not only his teams, but the the general public's. He may also just be so cautious after what he's been through You know, the NC State game was postponed because of NC State issues. Then the Tech-UVA game was postponed because of Virginia Tech issues. And he may just be tired of it all. And this may be his go-to statement the rest of the season. Because you and I both know when Justin Fuente gets in season mode, he's not giving you much. And maybe this is how it's going to be the rest of the year. He's just... He's so uncertain because... You know, day to day, test on Monday, test on Wednesday, test on Friday.
0: Yeah, he said later in the same uh, press conference, you know, I think we're all living in a test to test kind of world. And, um, you know, he said he's not trying to raise alarm bells. He's, he's not trying to, to throw up a, a white flag and say it's not going to happen. He's just very aware of the reality. And, you know, we praised Bronco Mendenhall earlier in, in this situation. And I think Justin deserves the same. He, I think he's being realistic, man. I think he's saying, hey, I'm not going to come up here with, with all my bluster and say everything's great, and I'm not going to come up here and say it's not happening, I'm going to tell you I don't know because the reality is I don't know. (laughs) Um, And I think that's probably the right approach. Now, if the Hokies do play, and we certainly hope they do, it'll be the debut for new defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton. He's a former Tech player. He's taking over for Bud Foster, who retired, obviously, after last year. Hamilton and his wife welcomed a new baby to the family last weekend. Coach Fuente revealed that, so congratulations, Justin. Justin. This weekend, he gets his first shot to run the Hokies' defense. David, what can we expect?
1: A very sleepless Justin Hamilton, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) As as if
1: prepping for his first game as a D.C. at Virginia Tech wasn't enough pressure. (laughs) I I hope the baby's crib is far away from where he's trying to catch some sleep, because he's gonna be some kind of weary this week.
0: Yes, that but, it is a lot. Now he's he's had some challenges, David. Um, he's had some challenges starting from not having spring ball, where he really could have got his mm-hmm. feet wet in this role. Um, he's had some personnel losses. On the field, I think you both we both feel like it's going to be a pretty recognizable defense, uh, big picture, right? Strategically, he's mostly going to do the things we've seen, but um, there's some challenges thrown his way.
1: Oh, absolutely, especially in, in the secondary with Caleb Farley opting out and then the suspension of Devin Hunter, the projected starter at safety. And now Virginia Tech revealed a depth chart yesterday that shows a true freshman, Keonta Jenkins starting at that safety spot with a true freshman behind him. So, you know, safety, if if a safety lets someone run by him, you got a problem.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I think you've made this point before, but Justin Hamilton, he, he's been coaching the secondary. That's mm-hmm. kind of his Safety. babies. Yes. So yeah, he, he knows exactly what he's got there. And and uh, now he knows exactly what he doesn't have w- with Hunter out. And certainly we keep making this point. We don't know who else could or could not be available because of all the situations. It's its certainly going to add things. Another thing that adds to this matchup across the way, a, a couple former staff mates for Justin Hamilton, uh, Brian Mitchell. Who was the corners coach at Tech? He's now on staff at State and the longtime defensive line coach, the the kind of Bud Foster right hand man in Charlie Wiles. Wiles was let go after last season, ultimately replaced by Bill Tierlink, who we still haven't had a chance to interview, which is a topic for another day. Hmm. Uh, It it didn't take long for Wiles to find his next gig. Uh, Just add something to this, doesn't it? Not not just for Hamilton, but for the players, for Charlie. It adds something to this game, I think. Well, it certainly will
1: add something for Charlie. I mean, you know he is going to be all kinds of fired up. And it's going to be strange for him to be in that visiting dressing rooms such as it is and and in or on excuse me the visiting sideline and he's going to know an awful lot of those players that he coached and recruited on the other side and a lot of those young men think the world of him so yeah i think it definitely adds a lot to this game i mean th- this wasn't a guy who was just passing through town like a lot of assistant coaches he had more than 2 decades in blacksburg and when that happens you develop roots.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And there was an undeniable sting in the, in the way he was let go. Right. Um, uh, you know, Frank Beamer decided when to retire. Uh, Bud Foster decided when to retire. Charlie Wiles had hoped to be the defensive coordinator. I, I talked to Bud Foster about that and, um, that was something Charlie was interested in. It Kind of wasn't going to happen for him, but I think the hope was he would stay and be kind of an advisor to to Justin Hamilton. And certainly that's what Bud was hoping. And it, it didn't go that way. Justin Fuente, Justin Hamilton. They opted to kind of remake the staff. And and certainly Tierlink's resume is excellent as well. And not surprised that it w- <laughs> Charlie didn't have a hard time finding a new job. But yeah, it's going to be emotional. You know, I've, over the years we've talked to and written about guys who come back to Lane Stadium. And I'm thinking of J.C. Price and, and Cornell Brown. At, At Marshall. And, you know, there have been so many of them who've played or coached. And it's a weird feeling when you have the extra emotion of the way it ended and and maybe not getting to call your shot uh you know i i asked dave doran the nc state coach how he thought charlie wiles would handle this week he said for charlie it's all about the kids uh it's all about the players but if those players have taken to charlie wiles at all the way the players at at tech did they're they're going to want this game for for charlie because they're going to know what it means to him now charlie wiles brian mitchell they may not recognize the atmosphere (laughs) at lane stadium on saturday night david i get a chance to, to speak to a of the people who are tasked with making game day feel like game day at lane stadium uh jed castro lauren belisle they shared some interesting things about the plan for saturday with covid restrictions tech's only going to have about a thousand fans and that's all family and friends of, of players uh you know they didn't sell any tickets for this one those are all pass list family and friends they're also going to be about a thousand cardboard cutouts uh that tech sold uh Photos of fans, $70 for a season ticket if you want your cardboard cutout. David, what do you think we can make of, of that atmosphere and, and what's being done on that end?
1: Well, we, we've seen it at other places, Mike. And now... Well, I say we've seen it, we've heard it and and seen it on our television screens. We haven't seen it in in person. So that, that that's going to be interesting to watch and 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 there're going to be other differences. You know, large swaths of the stadium both in Blacksburg Saturday night and in Charlottesville Saturday afternoon where you'll be. They'll have tarps with, oh, by the way, sponsor signage <laughs> because, hey, these athletic departments got to get paid somehow. And if, and if ticket revenues off the charts or off the books, you know they're going to want to sell some signage on the, on those tarps. That's part of it. The, the sidelines will be extended down to the 15 so the players on the benches can socially distance there's going to be much fewer people on the sideline. Uh, radio will not have a, a sideline reporter for either radio crew. Uh, the TV will will have one, of course, but they'll they'll be off in, in, in the distance. So there, there's going to be a lot of things that will be new for fans, not only those lucky enough to to be there in person but those watching at home on television
0: yeah now the thousand fans at lane stadium saturday night they're not going to be asked to make th- the noise of the sixty-six thousand that that mm-hmm. normally pack that place i talked to virginia tech and what they've done is they've actually got uh three options for crowd noise one of them is the crowd noise track from the ea sports video games so that's kind of where they're going uh, they also have bought a, another generic track that they can use and they were in talks uh going into the week to, with the nfl Um, particularly pittsburgh miami uh pro stadiums that have college teams playing in them what do they use for crowd noise for the artificial sound and could they get that so they're going to try to liven it up and uh david to your point you know a lot of this is also aimed at fans who aren't at the game fans who aren't in lane and uh they've talked a lot about engagement on social media trivia predictions uh they're going to have a live look into the the John Laser Mike Burnup radio booth. So they're going to try to enhance the product for people who can't be there. Because let's face it, most of their fans cannot be there.
1: Yeah, does that mean Laser and Burnup have to wear like pants and stuff? They can't, <laughs> they can't be wearing gym shorts or whatever it is they wear on the air. I,
0: I really hope that I didn't break that news because it would have been hilarious for them to show up in their pajamas or their shorts or their boxers and then find out that they were live to all of tech fans across the country. But <laughs> Heaven knows we question. wouldn't
1: want live lookins in the press box. I mean,
0: <laughs> there's a reason this is a podcast and not some sort of video production. Uh, right. you, don't, you, you don't want to see where we're at. Uh, now, that does bring us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. This week's Take
2: It or Leave It is simple and to the point. Both Virginia Tech and UVA will get their games in this weekend. Take it or leave it. David,
1: I'm going to take it. <laughs> just to be an optimist i mean certainly from all accounts UVA duke i don't think any of us anticipates any issues there virginia tech as as we've just discussed you know maybe it's a coin flip maybe it's not but i'm going to say yes both teams will play on saturday
0: okay mike Oh, that, that answer warms my heart, but I got to be a math guy here. There are four teams we're talking about. Uh, they've been traveling. They've been getting back to play. One of them has already dealt with kind of an outbreak. Two of them have already dealt with an outbreak. Uh, UVA is now into the point where their students have been back for a couple of weeks. I don't know who I am worried about the most, but I have a hard time, uh, being honest and, and imagining all four getting it done. So I'm going to leave it thinking that of the four, somebody has got to have a problem. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that how it shows its head is just somebody plays shorthanded. And I think that might be the best case scenario, uh, But I I think COVID-19 is going to have its impact on on this slate of games this weekend, no doubt.
1: Buzzkill.
0: I'm the worst. (laughs) All right. Well, here's a guy who isn't the worst. He's going to join us to talk about UVA, to talk about that matchup with Duke. He's the radio voice for the Cavaliers, Dave Kane. Dave, I know you're busy prepping for a game, and that is a beautiful thing to be able to say to you. (laughs) But thanks for taking some time out to join us.
2: Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. I, I, not that I haven't prepped games. This is just a game I'm hoping we'll actually play. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. we got to get to the finish line, but thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: what what's it been like for you? And, and, you know, we joke about all the canceled openers, but I imagine you had already done some work for Georgia and probably some work for VMI and then got going on tech. I don't know if you ever got deep into Clemson, but certainly you've seen a lot of them. What's this all been like uh, as a broadcaster?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean... Look, I, I think it's not ideal for anybody here, but I, I, I certainly would say that the impact on a broadcaster is much less than it is on a player. I mean, I, I think those guys, when they were in camp all summer, the uncertainty that they were dealing with, not think, feeling like they were even going to play when they were surrendering so much of their normal life routine, being in that bubble with each other and not even really fully with each other for a lot of that time, that's hard. And, and I think preparing as exhaustively as those guys do and then not knowing that you're going to be able to play a game, that's even harder. So, so from my perspective, you know, a lot of my game prep really sets in for that specific opponent the week of. And so, you know, you're always getting stuff ready for Virginia and all of the basic stuff and all the other hoops you jump through. I think logistically, I think from a standpoint of putting a broadcast together, because there's a lot more that goes into it than just the preparation and all that sort of thing for the on-air product. I mean, it's, it's also your formats and your sponsorships and all this other stuff that goes into the, these broadcasts. So, you know, you can do those types of things along the way. But yeah, I mean, it does take a toll to some degree when you just don't know if it's for anything it kind of takes me back to my days when i used to do baseball you'd do all this preparation for a game and then the rain would wash it out you know and you'd sit here and say well that was fun i'm glad we did all that work for nothing but um you know it's kind of got that similar feel
1: dave what's how different are the broadcasts going to be for you and your crew this season no sideline reporter correct
2: that's right yeah. It, it's going to be different. Um, we're going to use Jay James has been our sideline guy for, for a while now, and he's going to be in studio for us. So he, he, we're still, the plan is for him to pull off interviews as much as we can, um, from the studio. So we're trying to work up, you know, the technical aspects of how that's going to work in a postgame situation. Um, you know, and then even pregame interviews. You know, this week trying to figure out how we're taping pregame interviews. You know, I, I can. It, it, most of these are probably going to be done via Zoom as well. So I'm trying to figure out audio quality and how we're able to do that. And you know, you just, there's just going to be some sacrifices. I think in in all walks of this thing, whether you're a broadcaster, you're a writer, you're a player, you're a coach, certain things just aren't going to to look or feel the same this year. And you just kind of have to accept that to some degree. You know, always try to make it as as good as you can, but uh, with certain limitations in place. So we are able to do all of our games in person until Miami. So that's the first trip where we are going to be working on a remote broadcast. So, you know, that'll be the next challenge. We want to get this first game done. And then fortunately, we'll have a little bit of a template to follow for some of the other schools on best practices and how to pull off a remote broadcast uh, for Miami and Florida State. So those are the two games that we're probably not going to be traveling for. But aside from that, we're going to drive to everything.
1: Is that because there there was no room for you on the charter?
2: Yeah, that's right. So it's just uh, they're really, really cutting that bubble down at UVA, as I understand it. Uh, maybe taking more players than they would otherwise, just because of the uncertainty of who's going to be able to play and all the various you know scenarios that can play out. Yeah, but, the ACC
1: um, has up the, uh, the 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 travel limit from seventy-two yeah. to eighty mm-hmm. players.
2: Yeah, that's right. And so there are even you know various operations folks that are always on trips that aren't going to be there as well. So uh, I mean, even even kind of as I understand it, maybe even dipping into some of the coaching staff. But I have not seen that list myself, so I don't know that to be a fact yet. And I think they may even still be vetting it to some degree, but I do know that we're not on it. And uh, a lot of folks that normally would be are not. So, um, yeah, it's going to be different, no question, in so many different ways.
0: Different is, is a great way to describe everything, I feel like, this year and this season. Let's talk about some things that are going to be different on the field for the Cavaliers. And let me start with the really obvious one, the guy playing quarterback. Bryce Perkins is off pursuing his NFL dreams. Brennan Armstrong is getting his shot. Dave, what can you tell us about Brennan? And then what can you tell us about what this offense may look like with him under center?
2: Yeah, it's going to be different than it was last year, uh, obviously, because Bryce Perkins is just uh, that dynamic of a runner. I mean, he's the most dangerous guy with a football in his hands, I, I think, when you put him on most fields. but. Um, that said, I think Brennan Armstrong really has an ability to be a potentially very dynamic passer. Uh, I, I, you know, you just you'll, you know, you guys have seen him some, but you know, in practice, getting i I've been able to be a number of practices. I mean, he he really does throw a good ball, and you don't know what it's going to look like, obviously, until a guy's in a game situation, and and even then, it can vary from game to game. But I, I think that uh, you know he'll get better. I, I suspect as the season goes and he gets more comfortable. But even the moments that we have seen him come into game situations, he's performed admirably, even if it is a limited body of work that we've seen. But, um, you know, the other thing I like about Brennan Armstrong, though, is sort of a, an intangible that I think he brings. He, he just seems like a gritty, competitive guy that is not afraid. And, you know, that's the kind of thing you, you can't coach. You know, you got to just hope it's there. And, and I think, or at least try to identify it in the recruiting process as well, but you know I, I know that Virginia Tech game was one that he really wanted to be a part of for his first start that was what he felt like hey this is I can just step right onto the stage in this game and I, I've even you know spoken to him a little bit about it said you know the disappointment he had that that wasn't the opportunity he had been really hoping for that chance to kind of show what he could do on that stage against that opponent so you know that's what you want to hear in my opinion you know if, that, if you're talking about a guy who's going to be leading your offense you want somebody who's not afraid who embraces that challenge and, and wants to be the leader
0: David sounds like you've gotten to spend a little maybe more time with him than we have we've seen him some in in, in playing and in practice we've seen him some on zoom but it sounds like you've gotten a little bit of a better grasp on his personality his teammates his coaches they kind of describe him as different from Perkins Perkins being really even keel on the field uh you know really almost low-key calm as he goes through it um and Brendan maybe being a little more fiery a, a little more of that um emotional spark plug have you seen that and how do you think it will translate to to what they're trying to do
2: yeah You know, I think that's probably an accurate way of describing him. You know, he, he, his complexion fits his his demeanor (laughs) and the redhead, the fiery (laughs) redhead. So no, I think he is, uh, you know, and we'll see it more and more when we watch him play. Um, and, and I can't pretend to say I, I have this, this line on exactly who he is and I've spent hours with him or anything like that. But I, I have spent a little bit of time and I've seen him, you know, out there. So I, I do think he plays with a fire. And I don't know. I just get the sense that he's got that a little bit of that that yeah fire that, that I think you want to have in that position as long as you can keep it under control. Now, you know, I mean, there are some quarterbacks that have had that their whole lives. Brett Favre being the perfect example who always had that fire and never – Thought he couldn't make a throw. Sometimes it could get you in trouble. So you know you got to temper it at times. And, and not everybody obviously has Brett Favre's arm strength. <laughs> so, um, but but I do think you know the other thing I didn't mention too with Brennan is I, I do think his ability to run. It, it's not like this guy's a statue. I mean he can beat you with his legs. I don't think he's going to break off many seventy yard runs like we saw Bryce Perkins pull off on occasion. But I do think that he can beat you in chunks with those 10 and 15 yard runs that can break a play down and, and drive defensive coordinators crazy. When you think you've got somebody corralled, I think he can make you look bad in that perspective, but um, you know, I, I do, I, I don't know. I, I just it's a different quarterback, but it's not, altogether like you got to change the entire playbook because i do think you're going to have him running more than certainly a kirk banker ran you know a couple years ago
0: how about the defensive side of the football because to me that's the strength of this team and it's the thing that uh, maybe Brandon armstrong can lean on a little bit as he finds his way uh, especially early on this isn't just a, a good deep defense. Dave, this seems like one with a lot of playmakers. When, when I look at Snowden and Taylor on the edge, I think about Blunt in the secondary, Nelson in the secondary. Th- this has a potential to be a very uh, dynamic defense, does it not?
2: Yeah, it does. And I think that was one of the things in talking with some of those coaches on that side of the ball, when this thing was hanging in the balance, there was a real sentiment that like, look, we hate to lose this season because we feel like we have the opportunity to have a really special year uh, on that side of the ball. You know, they've got guys that are experienced. They've got some good young talent. It's a nice mix, uh, really, for this team. And I think that, you know, with all the linebacking play that you have back, I mean, look, the secondary last year, I, I think the number that I talked to Bronco about with this was that they had counted at one point 11 different players in that secondary who had either sustained a season-ending injury or required immediate surgery in the offseason. So, I mean, that that's 11 guys in a secondary that were dealing with surgery-related Injuries, and I mean that—that's just a preposterous number. So you know, obviously, you don't get Bryce Hall back, but you get just about everybody else back in that secondary, and and I think that they have the chance to be very good as well as that that uh, linebacking core. And then up front, you don't have quite the depth you hoped you had with Falmuie not in the mix, but I think there's some young talent. I think. Jameer Carter's guy who's caught their attention. Uh, Ducey Milani could be a guy as a freshman that potentially sees some time. But that's in addition to, to Mandy Alonzo, who's suddenly been through the wars up front. Richard Burney, the the, the 48-year-old, uh, you know, six-year <laughs> senior. And, you know, I mean, there's just some players that have been in, in the battles up there that weren't there in Jawan Briggs in his second year. I'm really fascinated to see what he can bring. And then, obviously, Adib Atariwa. At- this is the one I really got to work on, guys. We're getting to game week, and I'm still struggling with Adib Atariwa. You know, the transfer <laughs> okay. from, um, yeah, from Dave Teal's alma mater there at JMU. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of reason for optimism. And I didn't even mention by name, Noah Taylor and Charles Snowden, who I think are pretty much, by my count, you know, i obviously biased, the, the best duo outside linebacking core you're going to see in this conference.
1: Dave, what about corner? Is that the biggest question in your mind? Yeah, I
2: think so. But I think with Darius Bratton back, when he gets to full strength, which I think he's getting closer to. And Nick Grant with the experience he got last year. And then Devontae Cross is another interesting guy because I I think he's probably going to be slotted over there most of the time would be my guess. And then you've got some young players that I think you're going to, maybe some names that we haven't heard from as much that you hope will step up, whether it's a Jalen Baker or something, you know, or a Joseph White. I don't know. There's just some players that I suspect we'll start to hear from, because I know they felt pretty good about their recruiting in that secondary, so you hope that one of those guys can step up, but can they sustain the injuries that they did last year? No, they can't, Uh, especially a cornerback position. I don't think it's as deep as some of the others, but yeah, how how much of a leap can Nick Grant take? I don't know. I mean, he he was thrown into some really tough spots last year, but I don't think you're going to be relied upon as sort of the guy as much as maybe you were a
0: year ago. That makes sense. Now, let's look specifically here at at this matchup, and Thank <laughs> you. Um, first, tell me from your insight, if you have any idea, Duke, one of the more disciplined, one of the smarter teams in the ACC, why do they turn so sloppy when they play UVA? What is it about this matchup that bluntly kind of brings out the worst in David Cutcliffe's group?
2: Yeah, hey, Isn't that funny how certain coaches just seem to have other coaches' numbers? And for whatever reason, Bronco Mendenhall has against Duke. Because it, it certainly wasn't that way before Bronco got here. I mean, Virginia was in a bit of a funk against the Blue Devils. They just couldn't solve them. I mean, Mike London had all sorts of problems against Cutcliffe. So that, that has changed. And, you know, a lot of it, you yeah, know, it's these turnovers, it's pressure. The way Broncos schemes games, and, and of course, Nick Howell and, and Kelly Papanga as defensive coordinators, they can get pretty exotic. And I think especially if you haven't seen them seen much that year, especially early in the season, we'll see if that has an impact for, for Duke. But, you know, they, what did they turn it over? Last year, five times uh, Duke did against Virginia, and, and then last week Duke had some problems with turnovers as well so you know you hate to oversimplify a game obviously turnovers are a huge piece of every game but they've been particularly so against Virginia and I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you exactly why they've been able to have David Cutcliffe's number through these recent years with bronco at the helm but they have and and quarterbacks have really struggled against the cavaliers so you know i i, I don't know i mean that's that's a great question why is that i don't know
0: i got the chance to ask david cutcliffe about that this week and he said you know this is the most intricate was the word he used the most intricate defense they face uh and he felt like it was a pretty big disadvantage that that they don't have any fresh video uh of this 2020 uva team so i think you're onto something i think there's a a complexity that, that bronco and uh Nick Howell and Kelly Papinga present defensively that, you know, I mean, Daniel Jones is in the NFL and he's a guy that struggled uh, going up against UVA. So it's an interesting part of the matchup.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that makes it so hard against Virginia from that perspective is that some of the versatility these guys have just with that scheme, they can do a lot of different things. I mean, Noah Taylor, when you're looking at a guy who can play on the defensive line, he can play as a linebacker and he can play as a safety. I mean, that's a tricky thing to go against if you're a quarterback. Where is this guy going to go? And, you know, especially even, look, we saw Daniel Jones to your point. I mean, he had experience and he struggled with it. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's intricate. I think it's complicated and, you know, when it's right. The other thing I'll say, I think the fact that Virginia has as much experience back on that side of the ball, they're going to be able to be even more uh, intricate than they have in the past because three years ago, it was a pretty vanilla playbook they were going with by their standards. Last year, for the first seven games, it got much more you know, intricate. In, intricate, And you know that defense, people forget how good that defense was the first half of last year. I'm actually going through the process of kind of, I was just trying to figure out some numbers myself in terms of yards allowed and points allowed in those first seven games versus the second when the injuries really started to set in. But yeah, I think this group has the chance to make life very difficult, not just for David Cutcliffe, but as we said, for, for all of their opponents
1: this season. You, me- you mentioned the five turnovers that, that Duke had against UVA last season Dave Duke turned it over 5 times again this past Saturday against Boston College 4 times inside the BC 35 so I'm, as i'm looking at this matchup i'm wondering okay you know that's four squandered scoring opportunities is is duke maybe better than we think it is or maybe you know cuz cutcliffe's calling the plays this season now and, and that's a change. And he's got Chase Bryce, the transfer from Clemson, a quarterback. I haven't figured out whether these guys are just bad or mistake-prone. And, and, yeah. and, and maybe those two are synonyms. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and you always wonder, like, if they do take care of the football, what are they going to look like? I, I watched the, the Duke-Notre Dame game pretty much all the way through. And I thought Duke looked pretty good in that game for a good chunk of it. I remember thinking, particularly in that first half, this is a team that looks pretty solid with Chase Bryce, you know, having, you know, Chase Bryce went against Virginia last year. If you guys remember when they played Clemson, it actually had some success. Now, he had a few more weapons around him with that outfit at Clemson, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, I think he threw for, you uh, know, like a 57-yard pass and ran for a score. So, you know, this guy's, he's no chump and and I can guarantee you that they have worked tirelessly about taking care of the football in this week leading up to this game so I don't know I'd be surprised if they were as as, uh, hapless in terms of taking care of the ball and as reckless as they have been I mean to your point these Duke teams typically I mean that's part of the David Cutcliffe DNA don't shoot yourself in the foot and usually they've been pretty good at it but uh, against Virginia and said last week not so much
0: well you've had the chance obviously to to study up for that game i'm guessing you had a chance to take a little bit of a a look at virginia tech when when that was considered the the opener so i'm going to ask you to join us for our next segment it's called who you got
2: all right let's do it All right. Thanks, Mike. It's who you got. Tech plays NC State. UVA faces Duke. So who you got in those two matchups? Let's start with Dave. Um, All right. I will go with, uh, based on what I'm hearing, and you guys know a heck of a lot more than I do, but based on what Justin Puente's press conferences have sounded like of late, it doesn't sound like they're going to have a full roster and all their weapons at their disposal, potentially, if that game happens this weekend. So I got to go NC State there, uh, a Wolfpack team that'll be playing presumably with all of its weapons uh, against Virginia Tech in its first game, you know, with the rust and everything that comes with that. Now, on the other hand, for Virginia versus Duke, man, I'm hard pressed to go against Bronco hall for all the reasons we talked about in this matchup. Uh, recent history uh, telling me that I think that this is a matchup Virginia has done well against, and I also just think Virginia going into this game is going to be so supremely motivated and fired up. Now that said, obviously a huge game for Duke as well, but I just think Virginia's defense is going to be too much in this game for the Blue Devils, and I'll take Virginia in that one. Obviously slightly biased on that front. Okay,
0: Mike. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree, and and hopefully I'm not biased in any particular way, but I th- I think the advantage for NC State of having played games. I think the disruption that we're very aware of at Virginia Tech. Also, I just like what I see from NC State's offense. And, um, you know, Tech's defense should be good this year. (laughs) We we talked about that earlier. But I think that what State has kind of rolling right now offensively, um, that scares me. And, hey, if you're Virginia Tech, and we talked about this earlier also – you don't have the home field advantage you normally enjoy when you've only got a thousand people in the stands. So I'm going to take the Wolfpack. UVA Duke is much closer to me to, to a toss up. Uh, but that turnover issue, the fact that Duke keeps turning it over and that UVA in this matchup has been so good at taking it away. Um, that's concerning Duke, obviously the desperate team, but uh, I like, I like Virginia in a close game in that one. Okay, David,
1: I'm going to agree with both of you gentlemen on both games although I think Virginia is going to boat race Duke on Saturday. I really do. I, I think, again, they are going to be supremely motivated, and I think they will turn the devils over. If, if I thought Virginia Tech was going to be at full strength, I would pick the Hokies, having no clue who may be in uniform Saturday night. That's why I pick NC State. I mean, the Wolfpack scored 45 on Wake the other night. For, NC State scored 13 touchdowns in eight ACC games last year, guys. They scored six the other night. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a pretty nice debut for off- new offensive coordinator Tim Beck. So I'm taking the wolf pack.
0: Now we're all in agreement, which means we should all run to the to the sports book, <laughs> run to Vegas, and get some money down because we all know exactly how this weekend's going to play out. Of course, nobody knows how anything's going to play out, but uh, David, I appreciate you joining us today. Good luck on the call. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Mike. I was just going to say any of your listeners out there probably ought to go exactly the opposite of we're all an
0: agreement. On <laughs> no <that>. question. <laughs> Always the smart play. Dave Kane, listen to him on the radio because believe it or not, we're going to have football this weekend.
2: Thanks, Dave. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, David, it's not just the Commonwealth Schools playing this weekend in the ACC. There's some other intriguing matchups, and one of them is Florida State Miami, the the rivalry game. And you know, we've seen some great Hurricane Seminole meetings over the years. I'll tell you who won't be at this one. It's Seminole's <laughs> coach Mike Norville, uh, who uh, and and you know, he tested positive for COVID. Just another example of of how the virus can interfere. Mike Norville's not gonna be on the sideline for his first meeting in this rivalry. David, what do you make of that? That
1: was some crazy news when it broke on on Saturday, and associate head coach Chris Thompson will will, will be running the team in Norvell's place. Uh you know, his his first season in Tallahassee Ooh, has boy. just been eventful to say the <laughs> least. Well, what was the Marvin Wilson situation? And then players' parents questioning COVID testing protocol. And then all of a sudden, the head coach ends up positive. You know, he 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 did his media obligation yesterday. He says he's going to do his best to coach the team during the week virtually, but it 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 can't be very good for Florida State this week. You know, they were they were off last week. They did not distinguish themselves in a home opener against Georgia Tech. Meanwhile, Miami went to Louisville, and De'Ara King looked like the De'Ara King from his Houston time. I think it spells big, big trouble for the for the Seminoles in South Beach on Saturday night, where, by the way, game day will be, and it's a primetime game on ABC.
0: Yeah, it's certainly one I'm looking forward to watching, and, and we'll talk more during the season, but uh, King, and you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but King looks like he has the goods to be uh, maybe even a Heisman candidate. I mean, he, he is an explosive, exciting player, uh, and you like that. You like that in a marquee matchup like this. You wish that that Florida state maybe was a a little more together so they could put their best foot forward. Arguably though, the the big game and and maybe not an argument, the biggest game in the league is going to be number 24, Louisville at number one, uh, number 21 Pittsburgh. David, how do you break down that matchup?
1: Offense versus defense, right? (laughs) I mean, Louisville with, I guess it's Malik Cunningham. Now he's flip flop. First it was Malik. Then it was McHale. Now he's back to Malik. No matter what he goes by, he can go now, both on the ground and throwing the football. And although Louisville lost to to Miami the other night, it was through no fault of of the Cardinals' offense. But there, Pittsburgh sits, you know, suffocated Austin P. Okay, big deal in the opener, but then did the same to Syracuse on Saturday. Gave up six points. Rashad Weaver, his first game back after missing so much of last year with, with an injury, maybe even the entire year, but he was a dominant force. I've got Paris Ford on the back end. Panthers are really stout defensively, and I think that's what's going to win them the game on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I really like that pit defense. I'm intrigued By Kenny Pickett, the quarterback there, you know, it's a very good year, I think, for quarterbacks in the ACC, and obviously it it starts at the top with with Trevor Lawrence, but there are a lot of other uh, guys worth mentioning. You just mentioned Cunningham and King, and uh, I think it's a really deep, strong year at quarterback quarterback. Pickett's one of those players that, that I think may be a little bit overlooked. And um, maybe in a game like this, where certainly you want to ride that defense, maybe he can be a difference maker with some of the plays he, he can make. And, you know, he's an experienced kid.
1: Oh, he absolutely is. And if Louisville doesn't get some things corrected in the secondary, then Pickett is going to have a big game. Because there were some Miami guys running just lonesome open the other night. What Miami's first two plays of the <laughs> third quarter 75 yard touchdown pass, 75 yard run. You know, two, two, two plays, buck 50, 14 points. That's inexcusable for a power five defense. That can't happen at home. And I know it's different this year when you're at home, but still, how, man. Maybe that's a function of, of COVID. No spring ball. Guys still don't know their schemes quite yet. Maybe we'll see more of that.
0: Yeah, I asked, I think, both Bronco Mendenhall and Justin Fuente. You know, opening games can be ugly. <laughs> they can get funky. There can be things that are a little off, problems you didn't realize, uh, issues with tackling, right? You haven't tackled live as much. You get out there the first time. Sometimes that can be sloppy. So opening ball games have, have some of that, and uh you know, I, I think that when you look at some of that, it, it almost carries in two, three, maybe four weeks because of COVID. It, you, know, you might not be in your opener. You might be in game two or three, but you're not quite where you would normally be at that point. And, and I think that's a problem. I think that's something that teams are going to have to deal with, something that teams don't want to deal with is starting the year 0 and 3. And there are a couple teams in the ACC nice. both both playing at home, so maybe that helps, but there are a couple teams in the ACC staring at that Wake Forest. They're 0 and 2. They host Notre Dame. Syracuse, 0 and 2. They host Georgia Tech. David, either one of those going to get themselves over into the win column? I don't think so, Mike,
1: though I profess to having to take my glasses off, clean them, and put them back on when I saw that Syracuse is a home favorite, now granted by just a field goal, against Georgia Tech. And I've seen both these teams, and I'm thinking to myself, what the heck does Vegas know that I don't? Because I don't see how Syracuse can be favored against anybody right now. I mean, poor poor Tommy DeVito. I mean, he's been sacked 14 times in two weeks. Part of it is on him. Him, but part of it's on his offensive line and I just think I think Georgia Tech's going to win that game and I don't think Wake Forest has much of a chance at home against Notre Dame
0: yeah I, I don't like Wake <laughs> even playing at home uh, you know Notre Dame we've seen what they can do what they're capable of although they did struggle some with Duke who I thought played well defensively uh, a couple weeks in that, in that game but yeah Syracuse Georgia Tech though I gotta tell you David I thought Georgia Tech was unimpressive <laughs> when I watched them. I thought Syracuse was just plain bad. So sometimes when you have two teams that <laughs> aren't very good meetup, anything can happen. Um, I think that's that's what you're clinging to if you're, if you're trying to find some hope there uh, for Syracuse. So those ones probably won't be at the top of our viewing schedules. I, I think I like the matchups we'll be covering, as well as uh, that Florida State-Miami and that Louisville-Pitt game. To me, that's where the intrigue is
1: absolutely
0: well that's our show for this week thanks for listening you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple Podcasts. just find the rtd podcast channel and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the times dispatch you can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com special thank you to dave kane for being our guest today the show was produced by dean hoffmeyer teal and barber is a podcast of the richmond times dispatch and richmond.com For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.